Welcome to the Big Break Software Podcast. We'll be talking with software startup founders, software coaches, and consultants, and how they found their own software success. And now, let's get started with the show. Hi, everyone. This is Jordy Wardman here, host of the Big Break Software Podcast, where I talk to top leaders in the software field like Seth Godin, Andrew Warner of Mixergy, and many more. This is a show where we talk to proven founders about their 0 to 30,000 MRR journey and beyond. Today's episode is brought to you by OneStop.io. We have 45 developers waiting to take your idea to fruition. If you want a reliable full stack development team with top talent that costs half as much as in house developers, and you know you can trust your SaaS or mobile service with us. We will give you the first 30 days no risk, and we guarantee being on time and on budget, or we finish the project at no extra cost. Contact us at onestop.io. Let's talk about your SaaS project today. Today, I have Colin Gray. Colin is the CEO and founder of Alito.com. Alito is a podcasting automation service that helps its clients automate their podcasting and make it easier to publish with small teams. Colin will tell us how he uses his agency and SaaS's powerful combination to grow his MRR to 60,000 and over. Uh, we will discuss with Colin how he came into the podcasting space, how he funded his MVP, and how he navigated his 0 to 30 journey. How are you today, Colin? Yeah, really well, thanks. How about yourself? I'm doing great, thanks. Yeah, so let um, I gave you a quick intro, but why don't you just tell us a bit about who you are and uh, maybe about uh, Alito and what you do for your customers. Yeah, sure. I mean, the company we run is actually called um, The Podcast Host, um, and Alitu is one of our products within that. So Alitu is our, our podcast maker tool, but it really came out of content that we created. Um, and like you mentioned as well, the production agency that we ran back in the day as well. So we okay. started just writing blog posts, teaching people how it all works, how to make a good podcast. Then we started helping people make them themselves. Um, and then we built the software. So that was kind of the progression we went through. Okay, great. And are you out of Glasgow or where are you from? I uh, was originally Edinburgh. And nowadays we uh, live a bit further north. <laughs> okay, lovely. Okay. Uh, I went to school in Aberdeen, so I have a soft ah, spot in my... Yeah. So tell me about um, how did you... First of all, how did you get into um, the podcasting? Yeah, I got into podcasting through education, actually. I was a lecturer in learning technology. So I worked at a university okay. in Edinburgh for about five or six years. And I ended up working, um, teaching lecturers how to use technology to help their students. And one of the fancy technologies, obviously, that came along back in 2006, 2007 was uh, podcasting. So I was okay. actually asked by my team to look into it. I was the one that was kind of most keen on that type of tech. So I looked into podcasting and I really just, I kind of fell in love with the medium back then. I just loved the the kind of the personal nature of it, the feeling that you're speaking one-to-one -one with people. The, there was the geekery around it that really appealed to me around the gear, the, you know, the, the shiny things that you can use, the mics and the mixers and all that kind of stuff. And yeah. really from there, I um, started teaching a course on podcasting at the university to help lecturers and just mm -hmm. started writing about uh, what I was learning on the blog. That was how the podcasthost.com started really and actually what started the whole journey. Okay, so I gather that 
back in this day, there wasn't that many podcasts. I mean, I'm sure there was a lot of podcasts, but not like there is now. Did you find this space uh, sort of easy to find information about how to do it? Or how did you find your way back in those early days? No, it was it was pretty tricky. <laughs> I mean, podcasters today have it easy in terms of how the technology works and even listeners as well. I mean, I still remember the days of having to, you know, get on original iTunes, download shows manually and then transfer them onto a data stick, which was my MP3 player. So the tech in the olden days was, yeah, yeah exactly. Just to listen. It was it was archaic. And learning how it works as well was tricky then as well. I mean, doing the recording, you'd have to get proper sort of professional audio recording software to do that. And then editing as well. It was, I mean, all the teaching around it really was based, it was aimed at professional audio producers. So it was really technical. You had to know your right. rates and your, your EQ and your compression and all that kind of stuff. So it was hard. It was hard, but I, I'm relatively geeky. So I, I kind of enjoyed it, but I can understand why it scares off a lot of people. Does it now, though, do you find people are much more um, happy to sort of discuss the idea of starting a podcast? Yeah, for sure. And and a big part of it is because of the huge advancement in the tools, both the software and the gear. I mean, there's so many bits of software around now. Like we're using a, an automated recording platform here, which handles right. a lot of that recording for you. It sends you the file afterwards, makes that so much easier. And USB mics have come a long way as well. Like you just, there's so many great little mics anything from 50 to to $100, not very expensive. You plug it right into your computer and it just works. Um, and even editing platforms. I mean, Alitu, that's that's why we designed Alitu was to make the editing part so much easier so you didn't have to use audio production software. So there's so many more podcasting specific or podcaster tailored tools now that it makes getting into it so much easier. Okay. So let's get into um, Alitu. I apologize for mispronouncing it earlier. Uh, tell Don't me, everyone does. <laughs> yeah, that's. Um, first of all, when did you start it? Well, the first idea really came up in around 2016. So I was on a, I was on a kind of incubator type program actually for the main company. So the content, the affiliate income, and the agency. So I was getting coaching around for for about a year around how to grow that, how to develop that out, and and really there was so much incoming from our user base around the problem around editing, people hating editing. Um, and so I started to look into it about mid-2016, whether there are parts of it that we could automate, at least, whether there's some some elements that we could make easier for people. So yeah, it was that kind of mid-2016 to end of 2016 where the idea started generating. Okay. And so um, which incubator was it? Was it one in Scotland or... It was, yeah. It was called the the Royal Society of Edinburgh, which sounds very grand, but it it's a really kind of um, innovative program actually, where they they essentially give you a salary for a year um, and a lot of coaching as well. So really high level coaches that have run really big businesses, really interesting areas, uh-huh. and just take you through it for a whole year. A lot of training, a bit of funding, um, and a salary really to give you that kind of freedom to to do to for like a year to kind of go yeah. into it for a year. Was there um, na- other different nationalities that were uh, involved that was all uk based actually so that was all there was a mix from scotland england wales but uh yeah it was it wasn't international actually no no that's a lie actually there was a there was a russian girl on it who was living in the uk so there was one one international participant (laughs) okay and so um did you use that you used essentially that um to fund the mvp or tell me about the funding of the mvp 
Yeah, so that year, that was spent making the plan. So that was spent growing the main business, the content, the affiliate, the the agency. And by the end of that year, I had a really solid plan for the software, but we hadn't started to build anything by that point. So that was, okay. when was that? That would have been September 2016. And at that point, I applied for some funding. The Scottish government do a really good, in fact, the UK government do it too, but it was a Scottish version of it that I got called uh, a SMART fund. So S-M-A-R-T. It's an acronym, but I'm, I never remember what the, the letters are. Uh, but you can apply for match funding, essentially. Um, they fund two thirds of it as long as you fund a third. So I just put together a plan around how, at what Alitu would be like, um, what we'd build. And as long as it's innovative, as long as it's new uh, to the UK, certainly, um, preferably the world, but even if it's just new to the UK, they can, they can provide that funding. So I managed to gain that funding. So that came in September 2016, and that was when mm. I could actually start building it. Okay. And so at this time, you already had the agency going. Is that correct? How long had the agency been going? Like, tell me about the agency. How many clients did you have for that? Is it sort of, I gather it's sort of like, I can imagine, you know, podcasters like myself hiring you to do the editing and you charge anywhere from 600 to 1100 pounds a month or something. Yeah. um, That's exactly. Yeah. Yeah, precisely. Yeah. So, we never, we never grew it very big, actually. So, I mean, our main income and the way we really grew Alitu or created MVP, like I said, we got match funding. So I still had to pay for a third of the cost. Um, yeah. So we had to, we budgeted around £150,000 for it. So I had to still pay 50 grand, 50K over the year that we built that MVP. And we funded that through that agency work and through the affiliate income. Um, okay. It was the content, really. So we got up to, we never made it huge. We got up to about 10, 12 clients, but pretty good clients, pretty regular. So it was a decent little income. Um, we had a yeah. team of only two or three people working on that. One guy mainly who was doing the production for us. Um, but we continued to grow the content as well because the content, you know, putting out the blog posts, the videos, the podcast, that was really, that was our main income. It was affiliate income through um, recommending podcasting tools, recommending podcasting equipment. Um, but we knew that if we grew that, that would help fund the MVP. But also that was going to be our marketing channel for the tool as well. Because if we grow okay. that podcasting audience, obviously that's how we then market Alitu once we get it out. So that, that was the idea. That's how we got through that. Okay. Okay. That sounds great then. So 150,000 to me sounds like a big MVP. What was involved in the MVP? And, and tell me about that experience because that sounds like a quite elaborate yes. MVP. Yeah, you're absolutely right. That wasn't just an MVP really. That was more like, uh, I don't know, that we got out our full beta version of it within that money. So really, okay. I mean, the MVP really, we started in September 2016 and we had... The real MVP or more a prototype really was that first three months where we built the back end. It was the the systems behind that actually processed uh-huh. the audio. So we created the systems which would actually take, you know, four or five different pieces of audio, chop them up into bits, take out some elements, mix them all back together and do some fades between the two, like mix in some music with the voice, that kind of stuff. And mm-hmm. that was really the MVP. So as soon as we had that, it was really interesting over those three months actually playing around with the tools that we had, building them, building new sort of elements to them and really finding out all the different things that we could do with software on a server 
to play with audio. It was really interesting, actually. It was great. By the end of that, I was coding away. Like I wasn't, I'm no coder by any means, but I could use the, you know, the commands that we'd built in, the different processors mm. that we'd built to create a podcast. I could take three or four audio files and I could put together a few elements of code and it would create a podcast for me. It would edit it for me. It was great. So that really was our MVP. There was no front end, no interface. It was just showing okay. that the engine, the concept of it worked. Okay. And so what were the other podcasting uh, platforms out there at the time? I mean, why did you go into this? Was there nothing that did this or what was what sort of your thinking? Yeah, sure. There wasn't really anything doing editing like that at all. Okay. The closest, I mean, there's there was one other platform I remember at the time that did a bit of the cleanup. So noise reduction, volume leveling, that kind of stuff. Um, we started to play with that and build that ourselves as well. But there wasn't really anything else that allowed you to, you know, take an audio file, take a recording like this interview to use a front end to to highlight some elements and take out some mistakes, you know, make some edits to that audio. You can do that in an audio editor like uh, Audacity or Audition or whatever, but there was yeah. nothing on the web that did that, nothing podcast specific. Um, and then there was nothing that combined that as well with being able to upload, say, two or three clips um, put them on a really easy to use timeline, click export, and then automatically do the transitions. So, you know, you say you want the music to overlap with the voice for five seconds and for it to fade out. Um, and that's a little bit of an involved process in the audio editing packages that you can use out there. But with us, you just typed in the overlap time and it did it for you. So there was nothing doing all of those together for sure. Okay. So it's, it, to me, this sounds like something like that could have been done at the time on your Mac or PC, like a garage band or something like yeah. that. Is that right? Yes. So it was done yeah. locally on your machine. And what, you, what you're saying is essentially you didn't want to do that. You wanted to put it on the cloud. Is that right? Yeah, we wanted to put that in the browser and to automate a fair bit of it as well. So instead of in GarageBand, you would you would load it's in manual. music, you would yeah, you would you would overlap them manually, you'd have to create the the fade out, that kind of stuff. Instead of that, we wanted to just press export and it just does it automatically. Yep. Okay, okay, perfect. Okay. I just wanted to make yeah. sure that um that I understood like what exactly the problem was um, yeah, that you were solving. Sure. And so at that time were you getting this request from your 10 or 12 clients in the agency? Is that, or were you doing it to solve your own problem? It was a bit of both. It wasn't the agency, actually. It was our users. It was more, um, sorry, I shouldn't say users, our readers is what I mean, really. The, by that time, we had grown our traffic on the main website to, uh -huh. I think at that point, it was in the region of 75,000 or 100,000 a month. So we had a lot of traffic onto the site, of, certainly in the podcasting world. Like it still wasn't a huge market, even at that mm -hmm. point, five mm -hmm. years ago. So we had a lot of people come to the site, try to find out how to make a podcast. And every one of those people we would send um, and an invite to sign up to our newsletter and the ones that did they would always get a survey so we'd send them first question we'd send them is what is your biggest struggle what's the biggest barrier to you in getting yeah. your podcast out every single week okay, and great three quarters minimum would send back it's editing editing takes too long it's too technical uh, i don't okay. know what compression is i don't know what equalization is i don't it takes me too long to fade my music into my voice all that kind of stuff uh -huh. So that was really what was powering it. It was all of those people out there who couldn't afford to pay for us as an agency to do it for them because it's not a cheap service, but they were willing to pay a little bit to make the technical problems go away to make that much easier. 
Okay, great. And they probably, some of these didn't want to spend the seven, eight hundred pounds a month to do the editing, right? So you're trying yeah. to create something that they could do themselves. Yes. And at that time, what was the pricing? Uh, for Alitu, for the, yeah. for the app. Yeah, when like we which released were the, it. Okay, which were, did you have a few packages or how did you come out? No, do you know, this is something that I'm sure we'd be lambasted for, but we've had the same price since launch. We haven't changed it. We launched oh, really? at 20, $28, one single price, and we've kept it that since. And you just and have one package. That's, that's yep, interesting. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. yeah. The whole principle behind Alitu is to make things as simple and easy as possible. Take away decisions, take away all of the complexity. And the pricing just felt like, you know, one single choice just felt like it tied into that. Okay. And how do you handle like feature requests? When your users say, we really want you to add this new feature, do you, you just put it in or, or how do you handle that? I mean, because usually, generally, a lot of SaaS owners are like, oh, that's a great new feature. And then they add it only for the, you know, if you upgrade, you get that feature or they limit yeah. the amount, you know, like the, the maybe, yeah. you know, they give you four podcasts a month instead of eight. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, we, we didn't go in cheap. So $28 obviously isn't kind of bargain basement SaaS. Right. Um, so it wasn't super cheap. So we gave ourselves a bit of room to maneuver in the early days. Yeah. So we, yeah, so we just generally did, did just add things in. So we added a lot of new features over those first couple of years. We improved a lot of things. We've actually just released um, a huge new thing just last week and we've still not changed the price, but I think that is the fine, that is the thing that's going to make us change the price in the next couple of weeks, maybe the next month or so. Okay. Um, that's call recording, actually. So we've just released call recording like we're doing right now. Um, and I think finally we're going to have to change the price because of that. <laughs> okay, I see. So, so call recording is essentially doing the same thing. You just click record in the browser and then, yeah. and then it just sort of exports everything right into the platform. And then exactly. there's a limited amount of editing. It sounds great. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. It just, very... it just pops the recording straight into the editor, cleans it all up for you, and then you can start working with it. Yep. Okay. And how has the competition been over those last five years for you? Yeah. The, to be honest, there's not many. I mean, our probably our biggest competitor is a platform like Anchor. So Anchor is one of the biggest hosts in the space because yeah. it's free, essentially. Their their value prop really is that they keep it really simple as well, but yeah. they, they don't offer a huge amount of features or amount of flexibility, like the editing. You can't really do very much editing. It's harder to upload stuff. So it's a lot less flexible, but it's very simple, but it's free as well. And yeah. you're hosting with it, but they take a bit of control. Like you, they own your RSS feed and, and uh, put advertising in your show and stuff like that. So, they're kind of they've kind of always been the the main competitor and we've had a couple of other people have come along over the years who have done something more similar mm -hmm. but um the first one actually that came along started maybe a year after us and went out of business the year after oh really <laughs> so, okay that's yeah. interesting is transistor is transistor a uh, similar transistor.fm are you familiar with them yeah, yeah, you know, Transistor's a hosting platform rather than okay. editing and production. So yeah, they're they're the other side. I always see it as there's there's kind of three pillars in podcasting. There's recording, editing, and hosting. And we're okay. doing recording and editing. Whereas there's all the hosts, there's a lot more competition in the okay. hosting space. On yeah, the host sure. that would be like the Libsyns and the Burberries and things like yeah, that. Yeah, there's a, a lot more of them. <laughs> okay. Tell me about when you first launched. How did you get like how is the uh the growth how are you getting your first users 
Yeah, sure. It was it was tough actually. Do you know we we had underestimated um, how hard it would be because we'd been lucky enough that you know over the three four years previously we had grown a big audience. Well, not big, but I mean a decent sized audience. Oh, you're like, talking about the podcast host. This is the blog exactly and yeah. Stuff, right? So our blog, okay. yeah, our yeah. content, our blog, our education. We'd sold courses, that kind of stuff. So we'd already we already had experience selling products to that audience. Mm-hmm. We had already served them, contacted them. We had a decent sized mailing list, and I had thought that first six months was going to be much easier to grow Alitu. Mainly because they'd given us all the request, like people had kept asking us, like I said, they were asking for something to solve the editing problem. But uh, the first six months were tough, actually. We launched and got about 50, 50 something people signed up. So not a okay. huge number by any means, but at least it's not zero. Um, right. So you're at this time, you're sort of 2000 recurring a month, monthly recurring. Which is yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So we're on maybe about 1500 at that point. Yeah. yeah. And we added probably around 50 a month for the first six months. So within the first six months, we were at something like 300-ish, which wasn't brilliant by any means. So you were at like 9,000 then by that time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And I mean, our methods were really just two twofold. We had email marketing. So we were sending a lot of emails out, um, really building it into our funnel, like, because we already sent a fair bit of email um, related to our education, related to our free content. Okay. Um, and really building it into our existing content. So we were already decent at, you know, SEO, at blogging. So we already ranked well for quite a lot of different terms, different articles. So really it was about figuring out over those first six months, really figuring out where to mention Alitu, where to build it in, how to build it in in a way that was trusting as opposed to, you know, looked like we were selling too much. So yeah. that was really, that was what we had to figure out. And that, that took us almost a year, actually, I would say, to figure it out. Okay. So um, all the traffic is coming to podcast host blog. And so Alitu was just sort of, was it a panel on the side or, or was it, um, you were sort of, had a banner that you would just go and you bring the traffic over. Was there like actually a sign up page on that or did you create a different site for that? Because obviously you would bleed some of the traffic away. Yeah. Um, if you had all that traffic already going to the podcast host, how did you yeah. handle that? Yeah, we always had Alitu on a separate site. So Alitu always ran on alitu.com. It's alitu.com. Um, yeah. So it was always in a separate place. And initially we did banners. Um, we built banners into the, the main blog. We built um, links into the navigation, all that kind of stuff. All those kind of really front and center ways to get Alitude in front of people. Yeah. But really the switch kind of changed, switch flipped when we hit a certain critical mass of building Alitude into the content itself. It was really mentioning it when it was useful. So yeah. people would find the the how to start article. We've got a really good how to start a podcast article, for example, mm-hmm. which does mm-hmm. well. People would be reading through that. And in the editing and production section, we'd mention a couple of tools. We'd mention the free ones like Audacity. We'd mention the traditional tools like Audition. And I would say, but we also have, in a very, like we'd say in a very honest way, but we also have our own tool that we built to solve this problem. If you're interested in checking it out, it's called Alitu. Get it over here. Here's what it does. And so we started building in much more of those in-context 
um, mentions. And mm-hmm. we have um, 600 plus blog posts on the site now. And I think we mention Alitu in probably about a third of them. But not. But we've found a way to do it or we developed a way over time to fit them in really in context. So mm-hmm. again, it doesn't come across as selling. It comes across now as useful. We only mention it when it's genuinely useful to somebody or when they'll okay. be genuinely at a stage to be interested in it. And that was when the growth started to kick off, really. When we hit that point about a year in, um, when we'd fitted it into maybe 30, 40, 50 articles in a good way, that really started to drive the traffic towards Alitu. And that's really what we doubled down on. Okay, so essentially it sounds like the marketing plan was to use the podcast host as like an affiliate for for Alitu. And Alitu was just sort of on its own. You were blogging for Alitu as well? No, no, we didn't at all, actually. No, so okay. Alitu still doesn't have even one blog post on its site. Sorry, Alitu, yeah. <laughs> okay, so all of Alitu is just basically just the app and then podcast host is just bringing the traffic over, mostly from the email list, it sounds like, and and also some blog posts. Yeah, probably half and half. Probably half from the blog and half from the email funnels that we set up, yeah. Okay, perfect. And so you got up to about 9,000 in the first year. Um, mm-hmm. Then did you expand into other marketing, um, like for Alitu for, um, on its own? Or was it mostly just coming from the podcast host? No, it's we've always kind of just stuck to that, to be honest. Um, okay. The other, I mean, the other thing that has helped, actually, the one that we did expand into was affiliate marketing for Alitu. So we set up an affiliate program for Alitu. Because we had such a good experience, you know, as affiliates ourselves for other tools, we kind of knew how that worked quite well. So we set up a program for Alitu um, and quite that kicked off pretty well, quite quickly, actually, because having run the main site for so long, I knew a fair few people in the industry. Mm-hmm. Um, went to a fair few podcasting conferences like Podcast Movement um, uh, and the like. And really, it was a few contacts. We we ended up signing up maybe 200 affiliates. But as is usually the case, there's five or six really are the the real drivers of it. There, okay. There's only five or six people. In fact, one or two really are the kind of main affiliates for the site, but they really drive a lot of traffic to us as well. So that worked really well as well, actually. Okay. Uh, tell me about how you found these affiliates and what your approach was for them. I'd like to go into it because 200 yeah, yeah. affiliates, that sounds like a great approach. What's the revenue share? Revenue share is uh, 25%. So we give 25% ongoing. Okay, so lifetime commissions, lifetime yep. on the customer. Okay, so 25%. Uh, would you say that that's an easy pitch for yeah, when you approach? I, or do, the, do you get pushed back and say, well, we get paid 35 with other companies? I think I think we're lucky in that there's not much competition in our space. So if somebody wants to recommend an editing platform, okay. um, you know, we're pretty much the only good option right now. Uh, certainly that has a, an affiliate program. Um, and also, I mean, I know from our, our other affiliate experience that that's a pretty generous commission too. There's not many people, not many tools can afford to give away more than a third of their income on a recurring basis. Yeah. So so I think I think it's pretty fair and it does seem a pretty easy pitch actually because as soon as you tell people like, you know, if you sign up 100 customers, you'll be getting, um, you know, what does it work out? 14, seven, you'll be getting $700 a month, every month. If, yeah, yeah. Um, on an ongoing basis it's it's pretty attractive yeah that's great okay so um and then tell me about how you go about finding the, the affiliates is there is there an approach that you use yeah i mean i we so we use that as part of our email funnel um 
okay. pretty heavily. We mention it in a lot of different places because we talk about, we teach podcasters how to monetize. So we, we have our ideal customer and we teach them how to make money out of their podcast. And one of the best ways to make money out of a podcast is affiliate marketing. So okay. find a good product that suits your audience and, and mention it on the show. So one of our lessons is using affiliate marketing and we just say, well, and if you want to, you know, use Alitu as, a, uh-huh. as your first program. This is how easy it is to sign up for it. So we get quite a lot of affiliate signups through that um, and also through our user base. So it's it's one of our, I think it's the f- maybe sixth or seventh email our paying users get in their onboarding is if you want to try and pay off some of the money you pay to Alitu, you know, uh, sign up for the affiliate program and, and recommend it. Uh, if you like it. So okay. we get quite a few through that so as well. Would you say that most of the affiliates then are other podcasters? Yes. They're not other software companies or, I mean, I guess the influencers, but they're, they're really podcasters. Yeah. yeah, they're almost all podcasters. And if they're not podcasters, then they are marketing coaches who create a lot of content anyway. Okay. So people that teach other people how to make good content, probably. Yeah. Okay. So it's all just dropped into the into the email funnel, as you mentioned, the sixth or seventh emails yeah. that sign up, become an affiliate. Um, what's the conversion on that? In terms of how many people sign up for it? Yeah, like in, in you know, like uh, um, of of those people, yeah. How's your conversion rate for that to become an affiliate? For affiliate, do you know what? I couldn't tell you that number. I'm afraid. Okay. I'm not sure. But so, how big is the email list? Uh, we have about 30,000 at the moment on the email okay. list. Okay, that's great. So a little less than 1%, yeah. Yeah, so it's not a, not a huge conversion potentially. No, but it's huge but, though, um, right? Yeah. It's great. It's a good good amount. Um, and I actually, I always find the, be- the best affiliates we have. So we've got some great affiliates among those smaller podcasters, but the best ones we have, I found actually through really being our competitors in content. So I think a good lesson for any SaaS company out there, most SaaS companies are attempting to do content marketing these mm-hmm. days. It's it's kind of a, it's an obvious starting point to start building that at least. And as soon as you start seeing the articles that convert, so the articles actually bring you customers, mm-hmm. you'll also see other companies creating those same kinds of articles, you know, the people that compete with you in the search results. So one of ours is how to start a podcast. It's one of the obvious ones. Um, And we have, you know, there's dozens and dozens of other companies have written an article on how to start a podcast. Mm -hmm. And that was one of the best ways to start mining for good affiliates, actually, because people that write those articles, they are looking for good tools to talk about because it helps the users. But if you can get them a bit of extra affiliate income too, then that's great. So I really, I did a bit of research around picking those, you know, those top three to five, I would just say the top three to five keywords that people search for that really convert to Alitu customers. And then I would pick the top five to 10 articles on each of them, find the companies behind them and then approach them to see if they want to be affiliates. And it didn't convert all of them by any means, but we converted a fair few and, and some of them are now our top affiliates. Okay. Okay. So as I understand, then you, that's the, sort of the money term for you is how to create a podcast. That's one of your biggest. Uh... It's one of them. Yeah. Certainly one of them. Yeah. We've got, okay. we're, we're pretty well distributed in terms of, we, we don't just rely on one or even five or 10. Like we've got a decent long tail um, right. search results. Right. But, right. Uh, but certainly that's one but of that's, the big ones. That's yeah. one of the big ones. And so what you did is you went through the search rankings and you went and approached the top, say, seven 
and you said, you know, hey, how about drop a link, you know, drop our link in, in this post and we'll pay you for any, any subscribers that we get from you. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And that worked well. That was pretty, yeah. Most people were pretty amenable to that. And there was no resistance on them on their side because uh, are they like they're mostly hosting companies or what? I mean, who, who would the, yeah. so if they had their own editing software, which, which you already said that there's not that many. Yeah. Um, they probably wouldn't be such a good prospect, but yeah, for sure. There was, there was a yeah. lot of hosting companies that helped us out with that. There's, there's a fair few podcast coaches. So people out there that sell coaching oh, services. Yeah. There's production okay. companies too. So people that do editing live, um, they're pretty. Okay. It, actually, that was a funny one to me because they did seem like competitors originally. You know, production companies, mm-hmm. they're doing the editing. They don't want a cheap tool mm-hmm. to be a rate, to be out there. But it yeah. became obvious quite quickly, actually, that we weren't really competitors because people who just want it all done for them, they're happy to pay a mm-hmm. few hundred dollars for it. They don't want to even use a simple way to do it DIY. They just want it done for them. So really, if you were looking for a production company, you weren't in the market for something like our tool. But on the other side, there were people that would be looking for production companies that couldn't afford them. And they would then, so the production companies ended up quite often using Alitu as a, oh, well, if you can't afford our price, then here you go, here's something else you could use. And it meant the production company could at least get a little bit of commission off the recommendation. Okay, great. And how's been the growth uh, since you sort of, um, you said things, I I guess uh, the show is about the big break. It sounded like the big break really happened once the articles had sort of uh, matured and were ranking and you you were sending traffic from the podcast hosts over to Alitu. And um, was there anything else to, I mean, was there like, was there a moment where you said, wow, this is very successful and it just started uh, growing very quickly? Yeah, I mean, it was the end of, it was a good year and a half later after launch. It was around the end of 19. So November, December 2019, we saw a fair uptick in the signups. And then the start of 2020, the first three months of 2020, we started adding 100 users a month, then 150, then 200. And then, I mean, the pandemic obviously has not been a great thing for for nearly everyone, but a lot of tech companies have done a right out of it because everyone went online yeah. and we saw that same effect actually. So we grew really well during the middle of 2020 as a lot of people started podcasts to either connect with their newly remote teams or... Yeah, it totally makes sense. Or they have some spare time, they're in their home office and they've got more a little bit more time, not commuting or whatever to start a podcast okay yeah so i don't it wasn't only the pandemic but it was certainly that that gave us a little bit extra fuel um and so through 2020 i think we doubled our customers from i think we'd hit about a thousand at the start of 2020 and we were at two thousand by by the end of it so and that that doubled our mrr as well at the same time obviously that's great and is that growth still continuing? How, yeah, how is, it, so, is it sort of leveled off? Yeah, no, certainly it slowed down. So uh, we had we had some crazy growth during sort of March to August 2020. Okay, but by September everything had started to slow down a bit. But we've still managed we've still managed um, around ten percent a month since then, um, just a oh, little that's under. Great. So yeah, we're still still so doing. Is okay. it still about a hundred users? It's still about a hundred users a month then. A month we're signing up right now. We're signing up something like five hundred a month free trials and converting that into about three hundred a month um, new users. Okay, and is is the way the free trial works? Is it uh, you don't have a freemium model like um, 
Anchor, you just have, say, a 14-day trial or something. Yeah, it's a seven-day trial, actually. So we made it quite short just because it was, I don't know, I, I always feel if, if my free trial is any longer than that, I just forget about it. <laughs> so yeah, no, seven days. And yeah, there's no freemium at all. So you can use it for free, obviously, during those seven days. But we, we do have a, like, put in a credit card um, at free trial sign-up approach, which I think works best for us. Um, but if uh, anyone can cancel before the end of that seven days and, and do at least a few episodes for free. <laughs> okay, great. And um, any ideas for or plans for changing things up? Or is this is this you're really just going to keep growing it as you've been doing? Start a new SaaS? Any, any ideas? Um, Not at the moment. The I mean, <laughs> we're, we do have a few good ideas to add into the tool. Like there's, there's a bunch of different problems in podcasting just now, particularly around um, you know, like monetization and stats and all that kind of stuff. So we're just trying to figure out ways to integrate with other services to really bring a lot of those in. Like be able to bring in, you know, download stats from your podcast host, that kind of thing. That'd be quite nice just to sort of bring everything into the one place. Um, and we're also, we've got a lot of plans around the editing side of things. So to be able to make it even easier to edit your podcast, even to automate even more, make the cleanup, the audio cleanup even more powerful. So bring in more features for the audio cleanup as well so that everyone sounds great. And different ways to make, you know... Eh, a big part of it is the creativity around it. It's making podcasters sound amazing, sound cool. Yeah. So like templates for editing that let people sound like they're a professional audio producer, that kind of stuff. And because of the way our episode builder is set up, it's quite block-based and drag and drop. We've got loads of opportunity there to really let people tie in music and sound effects and, and really kind of mm -hmm. merge everything together in a way that sounds so polished. So that's a big a big focus of ours during this year is to really build out okay. our editing platform. Great. Okay, it sounds great. Uh, and will you introduce our higher plans or are you going to stay with the single plan approach? Yeah, it's a good question. It's something I'm wrestling with just now. I think we definitely need to bring in some new pricing tiers in the next yeah. uh, six months for sure. So I'm currently trying to figure out what that'll look like because I really don't like limiting things by usage sort of arbitrarily so there's a big project for us around seeing really how people use the app and figuring out okay. how to limit it so um we might do a little bit of features based gating but I'd, I'd prefer to yeah i'm not sure i'm not sure really i've got a few ideas but yeah for sure by the mid-year i think we'll have some pricing tiers well it sounds like there's opportunity there i mean obviously one of the quickest ways to increase monthly recurring is just to raise your pricing you know by 10 percent or something you know yeah um yeah. but yeah um well colin thanks so much for your time and getting up to the top of the hour so i want to give uh, you the opportunity um to uh, let our listeners know i mean if they're on the fence about starting a podcast or can you give some recommendations or ideas yeah, for sure. I mean, podcasting is, uh, I know I know a lot of people listening to this will either be running a software as a service company or um, something similar, at least have a product to sell. And podcasting is definitely one of the best ways to sell a product because it's it's the medium that builds the most trust, really. It's the medium that kind yeah. of shows the personality behind a brand. You know, you get to know the people. Blogging just doesn't quite have that personality. It's just right. kind of sterile text on screen. And video always has a little bit of a barrier. 
um, you know, it's kind of uh-huh. almost too polished um, or it's quite hard to make because you need to do all the backgrounds and the video as well as the audio. But podcasting is just so easy to make. It's so personal. It's just, it feels one-to-one. And so it builds trust and authority and credibility so quickly. So if you're thinking about a way to try and tell the story behind the company, tell the story behind what's going on with it, the personality behind it, podcasting is a great way. And our best starting point really is that that how to start article that I mentioned. You can find that over at uh, thepodcasthost.com forward slash start. And that'll take you through every single thing that you need to begin a podcast. Perfect. And if people want to reach out to you, the easiest way is how? Uh, you can find the uh, the podcast host Twitter over at the podcast host. Um, and I am uh-huh. Colin MC Gray, Colin MC Gray on Twitter. Okay, perfect. Thanks so much, Colin. No worries. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the Big Break Software Podcast with your host, Jordy Wardman. Be sure to click subscribe and check us out on the web. Keep listening and your software Big Break could be right around the corner. Yeah.